Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I've got statistically the heaviest head of anyone on the World Cricket Show team. And the man butting heads with me tonight goes by the name of Tony Kerr. I don't know if that's true. My, my, my head is big. And heavy. Yes, it's big, both physically and figuratively. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell the weight of a head just by the size, but I think <laughs> mine is both big and heavy. Did you get it though? Did you get the gag? It's yeah, a bit of, I followed you there. Bit of topical humour for you, Tane. I know you've always enjoyed that. My favourite part of this whole thing. How are you anyway? Uh, good. Yeah, not too bad. Not too down. You know, just uh, pragmatic, I suppose. <laughs> Philosophical. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, enjoying the whole charade of it. Tired? On a, on a scale of one to tired, how tired are you right now? Not too bad. A good night's sleep last night. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, sort of fighting back from a losing position after Wednesday night in particular. Yeah, that was tough. The first night uh, was a difficult one, wasn't it? It's like going down sort of 2-0 early on in a football match. You're always up against it. I'm not doing too badly now. We are a few days on from the end of the test. So I'm sort of slowly coming back to life. But yeah, for a few, for a few, for a little while there, I was struggling. They love me at work at the moment. They love me when the ashes are on. My productivity is just, you know, through the roof. Although that being said, I have to say, you know, that this first test has really brought it home to me that I'm getting old. I don't remember struggling as badly on the last tour and certainly not the one before. Even before the end of the first session, I was like, I was asleep. And I, on the fourth day, like, I feel like I watched the first session of the fourth day, but... I've, I've thought thought back on it. I'm like, yeah, I can't actually remember a single ball that was bowled. I think I was literally just asleep the whole time. I mean, it is, you know, it's quite tough, isn't it? Because if you were to say to a, you know, a, a non-cricket fan, perhaps someone who's actually angry about the ashes or just about the amount of attention it gets or hates cricket, mm. uh, if you're like, no, come on, sit up with us, you know, watch the starts, the, the first session of the biggest series in cricket, you know, and a particularly hyped edition of the biggest series of cricket in this instance. You know, huge. You know, it doesn't get any bigger than this. You know, you stay up, the match gets underway, a bit of fanfare, anthems and all that. And then the first few balls are just watched outside off stump. Absolutely nothing happens. Leave. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they would just be like, what is I'm going to bed. Yeah. It just, it just made me laugh that the first over was so innocuous, so non-eventful. Well, also, if you talk someone into staying up to watch it with you, and then, like, within 20 minutes, I'm asleep, you know, it's, uh, it's not really selling it to them, is it? Well, should we talk about the cricket then? Shall we crack, yeah, get on with it. Shall we crack on with it? I mean, I, I'm not sure that I particularly want to. I argued that there was no real need, but um, <laughs> the management have insisted that it is in our contract, so we're going to have to talk about this. It's like sort of, this first ashes test. Yeah, coming into work on Christmas Day. You know, no one can, you know, no one we don't we don't want to do it, but we're here anyway, so we'll make the best of it. <laughs> People may have noticed that there was a test match this week, the first test of the Ashes in Brisbane. I'm sure people don't really need me to go through this scorecard scorecard roundup. I was gonna um I was gonna ask Alexa to do it. If we recorded at my house tone, I've got Alexa. If you ask Alexa, did you listen to that clip that I sent you? No, oh, okay. I didn't. Know. No, I didn't get a chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> didn't get a chance. I didn't. Sorry, I didn't want. I to. didn't get a lot of this. Just a lot of. I, yeah, I've got a. I can't answer everything. You get a lot of. A, get, get a lot of fan mail. A lot of media comes yeah, your way. It's hard. <laughs> I've got to pick and choose. At clip from now. I recorded a little audio clip of me asking Alexa for the Ashes score. 
Perhaps you could put that in now. Perhaps I could. It's surprisingly detailed. Is it? Yeah, it goes on for ages. Alexa, what's the score in the Ashes? The Ashes started on Thursday, November 23rd, 2017 and will end on Monday, January 8th, 2018. Australia and England are competing in the series. On the fifth test day on Thursday, November 23rd, Australia beat England by 10 wickets. England won the toss and decided to bat first. But you don't have Alexa Tone, so instead you're going to have to ask Adam for the Ashes score. Hey, Adam. Is that what you say? Uh, how, do I get, how do I get something out of you? Oi, Adam. Yeah. What's the Ashes score? Australia are 1-0 up after a 10-wicket win in the first test in Brisbane. It, it looks pretty one-sided, that, doesn't it? But uh, it was a, a very competitive game for, for long stretches. England batting first. It was a bit of a wobble at the start, but a, a brilliant partnership between... Uh, Mark Stoneman and James Vince meant that uh, they they were going along reasonably comfortably at 2.46 for four, but then there was a bit of a collapse and they were all out for 302. Australia, in response, were wobbling themselves at 209 for seven, uh, but they managed to eke some runs out of the tail. Pat Cummins uh, with 42, but on a great partnership with Steve Smith, who who uh, scored a quite remarkable century, 141 not out from 326 balls, uh, they ended up with a bit of a lead, 328, and you felt, you know, it was nervous times for England after that, particularly right at the end of the third day. They had a tricky session to bat there. They lost a couple of wickets. And on the fourth day, uh, they were skittled uh, for just 195 wickets, shared around by the seamers and three wickets for Nathan Lyon as well. That set Australia just 170. That didn't look like anywhere near enough. Uh, and it certainly proved not to be enough as uh, they didn't lose a wicket. Warner and Cam Bancroft on debut with unbeaten 80 odds. Uh, as they eased to the victory to put themselves 1-0 up with four to play. I think I did a better job than Alexa there. Certainly went on even longer than she does. It was comprehensive, as ever. So, Tone, can you make some sense of this for me? We, we were very nervous, weren't we, on, on the eve of the game, uh, both in our, you know, in our in-depth podcast previews and also in that Facebook Live that we did on the day itself where we managed to uh, talk ourselves into being much more nervous uh, than we were coming into it. So we were nervous that England could be in for a very tough time. We thought, you know, they, they could be in for a, a walloping. In the end, it was a walloping, wasn't it? A 10-wicket defeat. But there were, as I say, there were various stages throughout the game where they were on top. You know, it, after three days, or at least after two and three-quarter days, uh, it was still very much in the balance. So how should we feel about this then? Was it really a walloping? Or are there actually reasons to be positive about it? To put it another way, Joe Root has said it, it, it doesn't feel like a 10-wicket defeat. Would you agree with that? That's about 15 questions there. You just, yeah, just, just pick and choose. Just answer one of them. Just choose two, worth four marks each. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a 10-wicket defeat, although the fact that it is a 10-wicket defeat is a bit troubling because... <laughs> It doesn't get any more categoric than that. So for England to start a series which they were already nervous about with a 10-wicket defeat uh, is unsettling. Yeah, and also, you know, we, there's a sense that England actually played reasonably well. So if they're going to play reasonably well and lose by 10 wickets, that doesn't bode particularly positively either. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. You know, the way the match developed, you know, you do wonder how England lost by 10 wickets. And, and you know, the answer is Steve Smith, really. You know, when he came in, uh, well, Australia were at 59 on the board in the uh, in their first innings, and you know, and wickets were were being ripped out at the other the other end as well. Uh, and, and you know, he, he stuck it out, and it, you know, it is it was a fairly astonishing innings all round. He didn't really give anything away. There was that one pull shot which uh, you know looked very uncertain and dropped, you know, just kind of in between two England fielders, didn't it? And you know. Obviously, it's all ifs and buts. If that drops into the hands of uh, of Stoneman out there, then possibly we're looking at a different match, but that's not obviously how life or cricket works. Uh, but yeah, you know, to get 141 on the board, it was strange because Australia only had a, a, such a slender first innings lead, but yet when England took the 10th wicket, it was just like, it just felt so flat. And then with only a slender first innings lead, what was it, about 21 or something? For Australia suddenly out of nowhere we're right on top of the match and you just sort of kind of how did that happen 
it was the momentum, wasn't it? It was, it's all, yeah. It's all about momentum because it did just feel, you know, when, when Australia lost their seventh wicket and they were still, you know, the best part of 100 runs behind, at that stage it felt as though England were well on top in the game. And so for them to end up conceding a lead, it was just very deflating, I think. And then it was particularly the, as I mentioned in my uh, lengthy roundup, it was the the timing as well, the fact that they had that really awkward kind of 10, 15 overs to bat at the end of the day. It, it, it didn't instill much confidence because you really felt that there could only be wickets there. And there were only a couple, but even then it was like, well, you know, they, they started day four, just what, three or four runs ahead. And you thought this is, it's really only going one way from here. If you transposed Smith's innings onto Joe Root, in that first innings, then, you know, it's England are, are way ahead in this game. And, uh, you know, that's obviously, again, not how life or cricket works, but... You've learned some hard lessons this week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then, you know, that, that it, you know, you've just got to hold your hands up and say, bloody hell, Steve, good innings, mate. Was that your Australian no, accent? it just came out a bit like that. I don't know where that came from. Uh, I think it's disrespectful tone to do an Australian accent on this show. It's disrespectful to Australian listeners. I would never do that. Yeah, because you know, bloody hell! You look around the other. You look at you know the rest of the Australian team in that first innings, and and you know apart from it, that nice little partnership between him and Marsh when Marsh did look quite good at, at, at times. Uh, you know, there, there wasn't really much there. So Steve Smith basically dug them out and won them the game. Uh, you know, and obviously England will be very very disappointed not to have set a bigger total, of course, and then not even to have got a couple of, couple of three wickets. You know, for, for Australia to have sort of romped along so comfortably will be a bit of a concern as well. That's pretty deflating as well, isn't it? It's a bit of a lesson as well, you know, speaking of learning hard lessons, it's, it's a bit of a lesson as well that increasingly, I feel, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, it's increasingly tempting to sort of make sweeping conclusions about things off the back of quite a short period of test cricket. Like, ultimately the end of the game is all that really matters. I mean, that's a simplification, you know, that you, you, can, you can draw conclusions from different aspects of the game. But what I mean is like at lunch on day one, when England were 59 for one, Michael Vaughan was saying, well, England have destroyed the myth of Stark and Hazelwood. You know, it's like <laughs> the commentators were getting so carried away with how England have made a brilliant start to the tour, how, you know, all predictions of 5-0 were looking really silly. And it's like, it's 59 for one. But as I say, I'm guilty of it too. And after, after day one, I was feeling really quite optimistic. And, and yeah, as I say, ultimately, it is, it is only the final result that matters. And, and, you know, even now, it's only the final result of the series that matters, I suppose. But, you know, Test cricket is a long game. And you should only really draw conclusions after a long period of time. And not, it's, it's kind of the Twitter thing, isn't it? You want... So I, I want to be able to tweet something uh, every two minutes. So it's like, well, no, I think you know you're, you're spot on there. Uh, it, it was weird. I mean, the day one, it was it was an odd experience watching it because obviously England limped along. Uh, it was very very cagey, patient stuff. But actually, yeah, at the end of the first day, you'd say you know they're in a good situation, and particularly particularly when uh, Milan was going so well, got out, Ali got out. At that, you know, at that point, you thought yeah, England are going to make, you know, England are going to at least make four hundred uh, plus. Uh, then they were both gone in the, you know, in the blink of an eye, and suddenly again, it's a different game. I've got a list of things to be worried about, Tone, and I've got a list of things to be positive about. Which would you like first? Uh, positive. Okay, well, that's a shorter list. Uh, <laughs> but let's so, get out of the way. Exactly. So let's 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 knock that out quickly. No, I mean, there, are, there definitely are things to take out of the game. As you say, when Milan and Ali were, were going well after Stoneman and Vince had gone well, um, you did feel that, as Michael Vaughan did, you did feel that England had made a really good start to the tour and things were, were looking up. But I don't know whether to put that on the positive list or the, the worried list because... Uh, <laughs> it straddles both. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, because also in the, in the Australian first innings, when, as we say, they were, what, 200 for seven... I don't know whether it's a encouraging sign that England managed to get themselves into strong positions twice or a worrying sign that they threw those strong positions away. But, you know, if we're going to be optimists about it, we can say that at least they've shown they can be competitive with Australia. They can get the better of Australia in passages of play. They just need to, you know, translate that into a full performance. 
one reason to be positive is that as we've seen this year and over the last few years, things do change very quickly in Test cricket. And so I don't want to be too dramatic about anything that we say today, really, because as I've just said, ultimately, it's only the result of the series that matters. And there's still four tests to play here. There's still a lot of cricket left to be played. And as we saw in the South Africa series in the summer, when England won, you know, thrashed South Africa one week, got absolutely battered the next week and then won comfortably the week after that, as we saw in the previous Ashes series in England, which finished 3-2 with every single game being incredibly one-sided. For whatever reason, in recent years, momentum is changing incredibly quickly in Test cricket. So, th- so there's maybe reasons to think that the same sort of thing could happen here, at least. At least there's a possibility of it. Yeah, and I, yeah exactly. Yeah, you know, on the preview pod, you know, I think I said, and you know, we thought... Uh, you know, in, in a series like this, where both batting lineups look a bit fragile, a bit uncertain, that you know anyone who makes runs is going to have to earn them, and they're going to be so important. It's only going to take one or two, uh, you know, performances to win a match. You know, it's not going to be a, a landslide of runs. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe later on in the series when uh, things have settled in a little bit. But exactly, that, that's the thing, and that that's what we saw. Steve Smith did the job. Now, the big worry for me is, you know. How are England going to get it? Yeah, how are England going to stop him doing that? You know, time in, time out, and it is a little bit on Joe Root. Can he match him? Well, yeah. I mean, as you say, the the difference between the sides was Steve Smith, Australia's other kind of gun batsman is David Warner, and they got, England got Warner out in the first innings, but they didn't get him out in the second innings. So actually, for three innings, they only got Australia's two key players out once, um, and they scored what well over two hundred runs between them for once out. Uh, whereas Cook and Root, you know, scored less than 100 runs between them uh, for four times out. So, yes, England's gun players need to stand up in the way that Australia's did in the first test. But actually, maybe that's another reason to be encouraged because England did compete and they did better with the bat than we expected. And that was without major contributions from Cook or Root. Um, Root did get a 50, didn't he, in the second innings. But in the first innings, England... They got over 300 without runs from from either of their key players. England's problem batsmen, you know, the the, the <laughs> positions that we identified as being problems, the three Ashes debutants in Stoneman and Vince and Milan, you know, they were the standouts, weren't they, in the in the first innings? They all got 50s. Vince got 80. You backed Vince to to come good. Were you impressed with him? And more to the point, were you impressed with yourself? <laughs> I, just, I saw a few people picking up on it. It's good to good to see it didn't go unnoticed. I did, it went no, viral but, actually. I think. Yeah. For me, it kind of it, the feeling reminded me of when I topped the table in <laughs> fantasy cricket on day one. It was like, yes, I am good. I am right. <laughs> well done, me. But then the nagging sense that actually it's just going to fall away, and I'm yeah. going to just sink like a I don't know something that doesn't sink rapidly, but very slowly. Like a whale carcass. Or <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, but I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I, sinking like a whale carcass would be a good strapline for the world cricket. <laughs> I'm still backing Vince. It was a great. It was a great innings. And actually, you know, you talk about just it is always fine margins, isn't it? And the the run out for Vince is is unlucky in a way because it's such a good piece of fielding that you you can't always legislate for that. And you've, again, you've just got to say well done to. To Lion, and you know at that point Vince is going really well, and you know, again that's a, a potentially a, a small game-changing moment. Mark Stoneman, I was particularly impressed with. I thought he did play very well. Didn't score as many as Vince in the first innings, but I thought he played the short ball really well. His technique looked looked really good against the short ball. And considering they're going to keep getting a barrage of short bowling, particularly if uh, if the pitches are a bit bouncier going forward, a bit quicker, um, you know that's that's something to cling to, I suppose. Something else on my on my positive list, Joe Root, I thought, captained well. Again, not for the entire match. Um, he lost the plot a little bit when, uh, when Smith and, and Cummins were batting. But at least for the first half of the Australian innings, I thought he captained well. You know, um, inventive field placings, unpredictable bowling changes, that kind of proactive captaincy that we haven't really seen from an England captain since Michael Vaughan, really, which is getting on for a, a decade now. I thought Anderson and Broad bowled decently. Again, mainly in the first innings, not so much in the second innings when England failed to take a wicket, but they bowled pretty well first time round. But again, this is sort of half good, half bad because they bowled well, but 
they're going to have to do an awful lot of bowling uh, in this series. So, um, you know, it's a little bit worrying to to think how many overs they're, they're going to have to get through. Um, I've run out now of positives. Shall I move on to the worried list? Yeah, hit me. My list of worries. Have you got... Oh, you look pained. Have you got an hour and a half or so? <laughs> how much battery's in the recorder? Number one, the tail. As we talked about on the preview, the tail, the lower order, was so crucial four years ago. It was... You know, it's a slightly underreported thing, but it was actually one of the major differences between the sides in that 5-0 whitewash was the strength of the lower order. England kept getting themselves into half-decent positions and then getting absolutely obliterated and you know losing their last five wickets for six runs. Whereas Australia kept getting into similar sorts of positions as England five down, but adding another 200, 250 runs. As I say, I don't want to draw too many sweeping conclusions, but it looks as though something similar could happen again. In this test, in the first innings, England's last five wickets scored 56 runs. And in the second innings, their last five wickets scored 82 runs. Uh, in the second innings, their last three wickets could only manage 10 runs. Uh, whereas Australia, in their first innings, their last three wickets scored 119 runs. So just that lower order for Australia of Stark, Cummins, there's strength there and then yeah they've always got smith at the other end <laughs> exactly yeah so that is quite a strong lower order whereas england i mean wokes should be in that kind of company although he didn't really look like it in this game but certainly you know broad ball and anderson is you know all three of them you'd say at the moment at least look like number 11 so that's got to be a concern hasn't it particularly if the australian fast bowlers are delivering this kind of onslaught of short pitch bowling England's tail looks weaker than Australia's and also England's tail is having to face, you know, much more difficult bowling for tailenders to face than Australia's are just because there's so much more pace in the Australian attack. I mean, there's not necessarily much you can do about that. You can't sort of, you can't teach Jake Ball how to bat. You can't teach them how to, uh, how to stand up against fast, short pitch bowling in a few days. Although it was slightly surprising slightly galling to see uh, trevor bayless the coach uh he was asked about it he said well you know at least we know what to expect now you think well possibly we could have predicted that yeah another worry nathan lyon bowling to left-handers this was something that that really stuck out during the game wasn't it england have got a lot of left-handers and lyon looks like he's going to take a wicket more or less every ball that he bowls to left-handers reminded me a little bit of graham swan in his in his heyday he bowled very very well didn't he and uh I don't think he took a wicket on day one, did he? But he certainly, maybe not quite changed the game on day one, but he certainly brought a whole lot to Australia's attack on day one. And, and you know, his overall performance in the match, the the sort of crucial wickets on the second day uh, to turn the match back in, well, certainly to at least rein England back in. Uh, yeah, he was very impressive. That's not what we want to see off the back of all the chat ahead of the uh, yeah. ahead of the series. Uh, yeah, as you say, yeah, the the left hand thing. That is going to be, you know, figuring perhaps Bearstow bat, you know, should bat one higher, just to sort of mix it up a little just bit, break up, break up that left that yeah, that lower middle order. Mm. So yeah, there's what four left-handers in the top six. So yeah, if Bearstow swapped with Moeen, maybe that might break things up a bit. But then, having said that, Moeen was probably the most comfortable. He's certainly the most comfortable of the left-handers against Nathan Lyon. In some ways, he looked like England's best batsman in this game, although he didn't go on and, and get a score. There has been a lot of talk, like certainly, uh, I think it was Gilchrist or maybe Ponting, one of, one of the Aussies, was saying, you know, well, Moeen batted really well against Lyon and the, and the reason he looked so much better was because he actually tried to be positive. He tried to take him on, played a few shots and maybe some of the other England batsmen should try and do that. Milan and Stoneman just seemed to be content to try and sit in against Lyon and he was bowling so well and, and turning it so much that you felt at some point he's going to take the outside edge and he's just going to bowl a ball that's too good. So... Maybe you should take the mowing approach of trying to play a few shots, put the pressure back on him, get him to try and change his length, that kind of thing. And that makes sense to me. But if you're going to argue that they should do that, I think the commentators then need to be, they need to be prepared to be forgiving of batsmen if they then pick out long off. This is your pet hate. It is my pet hate, yeah. Definitely. Oh, it's one of many. Uh, but yes, well, but you know that that will happen, won't it? it uh, David Milan will skip down the wicket hole out to long on and boycott and Vaughan will be writing articles about you know they'll just be incensed at what a stupid shot that was to play speaking of boycott it's just it's interesting hearing him uh hearing him do telly commentary mm. again 
I don't know whether he's trying to be he's trying to do something different to what he what he has done on TMS, but it's certainly I don't you know stuff would happen. Wickets would fall, and he'd be going. You know, uh, Broad took a wicket, I think, and he was just like, "That's why he's the best." <laughs> he, he did that. Yeah, he did it, I think he did it about four or five times. We may be thinking of the same moment, but yeah, when Broad took a wicket and Boycott was going, "Broad and Anderson, I told you, Broad and Anderson, <laughs> they're brilliant bowlers." It's like, thanks, Jeffrey. So yeah, lying against uh, lying against left-handers is is definitely a concern. Speaking of left-handers, Alistair Cook had quite a poor test. Two failures. Uh, and actually, he's now gone, Tone, believe this, if you will, he's now gone 16 Ashes tests without a century. Should we be worried about Cook? Are you worried about Cook? Yes, slightly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> slightly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, he, did, he just didn't look good, did he? I mean, he didn't have a lot of time to look good because he was gone fairly swiftly. <laughs> there was a lot of <laughs> time hit- to look good because he was out. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of here we go. Uh, comments uh, on the first first I say the first morning the first night for us would that be on Twitter that was some of them I saw on Twitter some on Facebook some out of my own mouth some from the at cricket show account on Twitter. <laughs> you're talking about yeah that first that first wicket of the test when uh, Stark got cooked and Nick off and what was it, it was it about five for one at that stage um, exactly. I mean that was worrying but then uh, Vince and uh, Stoneman went on and put on 120 odd and you just and at that point it was like wow this is going to be different yeah then it wasn't so, and then I was tweeting <laughs> yeah the myth of Stark and Hazelwood has been absolutely destroyed but uh, I mean Cook it does look a bit of a concern I mean it, it wasn't a great shot in the second in the innings. second innings exactly that the hook you know you said before about players you're know, playing shots and but Cook should know better than to play that then yeah no well, no Just i didn't do, need to do it i do agree with that like so you know for new listeners my pet hate is that people you know commentators are so quick to call you know to criticize players when they get caught on the boundary or they top edge a hook or you know this idea that it's a, such a stupid shot uh when actually if they connected with it and it went for six they'd be like wow so so brave look at that not afraid to take on the short ball and it's ultimately that is the game isn't it that the the game is calculating risks and so i i'm i'm loath to criticize players for the shot selection you can criticize it for the execution however there are you know there's circumstances circumstances make a difference match situation and as i've said that that situation in the match when you know towards the end of day three england just had 10 15 overs to bat they just needed to try and get through to the close alistair doesn't really need to be playing a pull shot in that situation again if he had hit it for four everyone would be saying oh brilliant what a good shot. No one would be saying, if it went for four, no one would be saying, well, that was a bit risky. But he did get it wrong and, and he, yeah, he, he didn't need to take the risk in that. He shouldn't have taken the risk in that situation. Yeah, but it, ju- it just struck me as a little bit sloppy. And, you know, when the trap was set for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Alistair Cook's an England legend and a, uh, an Ashes legend, even if he's not put his hand up in the last 16 <laughs> tests. Well, yeah, a lot of players don't play as many as 16 Ashes yeah. tests. A lot of players who have long careers don't play that many tests, and that's how many Cook has gone without scoring a century. He is and has shown himself to be you know, a fantastic disciplinarian out there in the middle, hasn't he? But that, that is a slight concern that he fell, fell to that. Listen, I'm not trying to panic anybody about Cook, but there is, you know, th- there is a little bit of a broader pattern that has gone slightly under the radar in that, I mean, this might be overstating it slightly, but you could argue that he's in a bit of a slow decline in that, yeah, he scored one century in the last 12 months, which is 12 tests now. And in the, over the last few years, he scored six centuries in his last 47 tests, uh, when he'd scored 10 in the 37 before that and eight in the 28 before that. Uh, so if I, if I were to draw a line graph, Tony, if you asked me to draw a line graph, uh, the line would be going downwards, wouldn't it? And, you know, it's not... You know, it's not disastrous, 600s in, in 47 tests, but that's, that's more tests than it's taken Ben Stokes, for example, to score six test hundreds, and Ben Stokes isn't batting at the top of the order. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's too much to expect to expect Cook to produce and reproduce what he did uh, in 2010. You know, that, that was a, a special performance. It, it anchored that whole series for England. But you just hope he can get a few 50s and just, just kind of help England on their way. And, he, and, he, yeah, and he's not doing that enough at the moment. 
No, I mean, there's still there's still no reason to think that he can't do that. He's still obviously a quality player, and there's there's no one else that you'd have instead of him. Uh, but just for England's sake, you hope, as we say, they really need both Cook and Root to stand up in the remainder of the series. If Cook and Root have poor series, there's absolutely no way that England are, are winning this, particularly if Warner and Smith. Uh, sorry, I'm getting a bit choked up here. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about God, it's a long way to go, isn't there? lot of watching Steve Smith bat to do. Not a great game for England's bowlers either, you'd have to say. <laughs> Obviously ended in pretty dismal fashion, uh, failing to take a wicket in defending that target. Anderson and Broad were good, as I say, but the, I mean, they weren't outstanding. They didn't have their best game in England shirt, but they, were, they bowled reasonably well. Uh, but the support wasn't quite there from the other two seamers, was it? Here's a question, Tone. Jake Ball, what's the point? Harsh. Ball point, is that the joke? I mean, it, that is a very good joke. <laughs> that's not very good. <laughs> that's not where I was going with it. Uh, I, I, mean, I think we said before the series, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily, he's not a player at the moment that excites us. Uh, and I don't think we saw a huge amount to suggest that's going to change overnight. Yeah, that, that, it's a bit of a concern for sure. But where do England go? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm being... Uh, deliberately provocative there tone and say you know it's it's it is too harsh to say what's the point but i i i've yet to see anything from jake ball in any of his appearances in an england shirt in an, in any format to say that you know he's one of the best bowlers in one of the three or four best seam bowlers in the country i i feel a bit sorry for him in a sense because it seemed like they asked him they you know certainly leading into the game they were like well you know yeah jake ball's going to come and bounce them out and that's that's not his strong suit is it and he's not quick enough to do that either and that's the thing with this whole England attack they were all bowling sort of mid 80s tops whereas Australia's attack are getting up into the 90s and it just they just looked a lot slower didn't they and it looked particularly on this pitch I think it was coming off it was like that kind of tennis ball bounce when England's bowlers were bowling whereas Australia were getting it to come through and you know when it went from uh, on the third day when Australia finished their innings when England came out to bat, the commentators were saying, oh, suddenly it looks like the pitch is quickening up. And it's like, well, it's just because it's Stark and Cummins rather than Ball and Wokes and Broad. And But as you say, I mean, where do England go? This is true with the spinner as well, because Moeen struggled. It certainly was, was nowhere near as, as dangerous or effective as Nathan Lyon. And in fact, in that second innings, Joe Root ended up doing quite a big share of the bowling. I mean, Moeen said he's, Moeen's got this cut on his finger, so that could be the problem. It could also be that Lyon is just a better bowler than Moeen, and that's not necessarily a criticism of Moeen, because I do think Lyon is a, is a fantastic bowler. But as you say, where do England go? The difficulty is, we keep coming back to this thing, that they've picked the wrong squad, or they've picked a bad squad. If Moeen is struggling, it might make sense to bring in another spinner, bring in a frontline spinner, leave out Jake Ball, play Moeen as a sort of second spinner, second spinning all-rounder. But who would that be? Mason Crane is the only other bowler in the squad I don't know whether you'd have much confidence in him sort of leading the way in a, in his debut test against Australia. I mean, it's huge pressure, isn't it? Yeah. And already, you know, if he, if he was to come in in Adelaide, yeah, you know, England are already one nil down, so mm. they're they're up against it. The pressure's on. You know, you don't want to say whitewash, but there we go. Uh, yeah, that that's got to be <laughs> it's got to be a real possibility. It's out there. It's, it is out there. <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, it's like the John Lewis Christmas ad, isn't it? You know, you know it's coming out, but you just didn't know quite when. And then suddenly it arrives, and that's all anyone's talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 huge pressure. Uh, now, of course, putting him in the squad and not picking him for the first, you know, they must have, you know, the selectors or you know would have known probably what their squad was going to be or their team rather was going to be for the first test more or less you'd hope they would have done and the fact that crane wasn't there they must know that they must have expected take him along that he's going to be coming in in a situation later on in the series so you know hopefully he's up to it well maybe but you almost feel like they've picked him like to give him some experience which they've done with some players in the past and i've never really understood i don't know or maybe they were th- you know if moeen was at it was bowling grenades you know if moeen was at his best then maybe they were thinking, let's play Mason Crane as a second spinner in Sydney. But if Moeen is struggling with injury or whatever else, and they think we need to pick someone to be the spinner, I don't know that Mason Crane is the right guy. I mean, again, who it would be, Adil Rashid has obviously got, you know, is obviously not a perfect solution either. And anyone else would be making their debut as well, whether it was Jack Leach or somebody else. 
So there's not, yeah, there's no perfect solution. But uh, Mason Crane, you'd just fear for him a bit against David Warner, particularly. You would think it could be sort of career ending <laughs> Simon Kerrigan territory um, if he was, yeah, if he was chucked into the fray and asked to lead the line. And it's the same with the fast bowlers as well. If they're going to leave out Jake Ball, there's no obvious candidate to replace him in the squad. As I say, England were lacking for pace. Probably the, the two fastest bowlers in England, or at least the two fastest sort of options for England would be Mark Wood and Liam Plunkett, and neither of them are in the squad. I mean, there is this thing that both have gotten much better because they didn't play, which is the thing that always happens. Yeah. And Mark Wood played against South Africa and was anonymous, you know, didn't do anything. So it's not as if Mark would, would be the, the answer to all of England's prayers. But, but you do just think that, you know, they need, they need an injection of pace. And I'm not sure that either Craig Overton or, or Tom Curran can provide that. So, yeah, it's just not, it's not a great squad, really, that they've picked. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, they have been unfortunate. It's they not created a problem for themselves. Yeah, I agree. Although they have been slightly unfortunate. It, you know, there's not a bottomless pit of, uh, of you know, lightning quick world-class bowlers you know there never will be and that you know have suffered obviously finn got injured you know roland jones did look bloody good in the summer obviously got injured so uh, yeah it is it's hard isn't it it's tough I, you know we haven't mentioned his name yet but i'm yeah i'm sure you might mention it in a minute mark Rambrakash. yeah exactly he is got to be out there <laughs> get him on the plane no i mean ben stokes you know obviously would Again, you know that the bowling attack just looks better with him in it, and he's not there. So it's another slightly unfortunate, if if self inflicted incident, uh, self inflicted issue. Or is he tone? Is he there? Well, you were you were caught you were, you were caught out by the fake news <laughs> the other day. Although he is definitely in New Zealand now, we know that he's yeah, landed. It was all over Twitter pictures of Stokes at Heathrow, uh, but it turns out he's actually going to New Zealand rather than Australia. I mean, it's close enough in my head. It's like going to... It's like the difference between Guernsey and Jersey. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're in the area. It's like the difference between St. Peterport and St. Martins, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I, to be fair, that probably is part of his thinking, though. Uh, it's got to be, hasn't yeah. it? It's yeah. It's got to be. He's gone out, it's apparently, to spend some time with his family and, and he'll be practising out there and possibly uh, Well, he's, he's going to play in a 50-over game mm. on Sunday, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's obviously not going to play the second test. No. Uh, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't play some part in the series now. Well, it depends though, doesn't it? Because I would be surprised if they uh, drop the investigation, then he will play. But if they say, no, we're going to press charges, then he won't play. True, but you'd think they're going to drop the investigation based on, I know there's been, look, everyone's a police expert on Twitter now and, and, you know, procedural kind of uh, guru, but... I don't know. You, surely, if you're going to press charges, you wouldn't let him fly to New Zealand. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's taken it, you know, taken it upon himself, and they've said, "Well, we're not going to stop you." But yeah, it may have been that he's had, you know, a wink and a nod from someone, and they've <laughs> said, "Yeah, you know, give it a week, and then you'll be able to go." And he's thought, "Well, I'll go to New Zealand now, and and then he can acclimatise to the time difference and, and that kind of stuff, and be close, be closer." But he might not know anything, and he might be thinking, "Well, I'll do this in case the investigation is dropped." I mean, I genuinely don't know. I know no, no one knows. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there's a- I don't want to be taken in by fake news again. So I'm <laughs> trying to say to him, I've had my fingers burnt. I don't know. You know, and in a way, actually, it's whilst it obviously has been hugely detrimental to England's chances in the series, it was a huge distraction. Uh, yeah, head of the series, him going to New Zealand now is is a good distraction, I think, for England because. Yeah, obviously that's all anyone's talking about. He's taken the heat off the actual results somewhat. Obviously, the fact that what the reason why everyone's talking about him is because they they're worried England are going to get hammered uh, again, and yeah, obviously they they want to see him there. But yeah, at least it gives the England players a bit of yeah a bit of time out of the limelight for the next well, day, I suppose, or a couple of days. They've had a few distractions, haven't they? Because there's been all this Johnny Bairstow stuff. As well, yeah. I mean, that Re- was nonsense. Reports that he headbutted Cameron Bancroft in a bar in Perth about a month ago, and this came out. It was picked up on the stump microphone, wasn't it? That the Australian players were, you know, were were giving Bairstow some banter. I think is the word, Tane, uh, about this, and and this was picked up and and asked about, and they yeah discovered that this that this had happened. 
It was very weird, though, wasn't it? And, yeah, there's a Cameron Bancroft gave what was quite a funny press conference um, where he, you know, explained what happened as he saw it, and he said, you know, I just thought it was a bit weird because it wasn't like a yeah. He said it wasn't like a a violent headbutt. It was just instead of a handshake, he headbutted him. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, uh, I mean, I, I, it's hard to disagree that that is weird. Yeah, but then again, you know, what was the context? They're all out in a bar. I don't know. It, it, I just, the whole thing was blown so far out of proportion. You know, and as soon as you start calling it a headbutt, and that, that press conference was stupid. Mm. You know, bloody people asking, like, oh, you know, just, to, just very specifics of, of just get on with it. I mean, it was utter nonsense as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I, I saw some people saying, oh, you know, that's, you know, that's going to be it's like an iconic uh, moment. You know, it's, it's going to haunt England forever. The, you know, the, the giggling at the press conference. Mm. And, you know, that will pick for sure. But I mean, I don't think it's any more haunting than you know Stuart Broad's face after his eight for <laughs> at Trent Bridge. No, true. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's all in good Australia and Australian players having a laugh about it because it is, yeah, you know, it's it is quite amusing and certainly Bancroft uh, played played it up uh, in that instance. But I don't know the, the way it was being framed to me from some from some quarters was oh, this, you know, it's as if Australia have got this power over England that they're they're now. They're in hysterics about, you know, Australia haven't won a, an Ashes series in England for ages. The yeah. pressure is on, I think, you know, the pressure is on Australia more so. Yeah. Well, Whatever happens, yeah, if Australia do win the series and, you know, obviously they've, they've put themselves in a good position, they've still not, you, you, could, you still wouldn't say, well, this Australian side has been, it hasn't even had the, the lion's share of Ashes series in the last 10 years. This is your Kevin Keegan moment. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I would love it. They've still got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. <laughs> so, I don't know. That ju- I, it just, I, I thought people were sort of jumping the gun slightly on that. No, I agree. And again, it kind of, de- whether or not that haunts England does depend on what happens. Yeah, I mean, exactly. if it turns into five and a whitewash, then maybe. If not, you know, then everyone will forget about it. But I agree. I just, I just thought it was a bit nonsense, really. It just it just doesn't matter. I mean, it, yeah, it's very weird. Very weird things to have happened. Uh, but not something to really dwell on, I don't think. No, no, exactly. It, you know, it's the classic thing, though. The word headbutt, obviously, is that, that's, you know, that's got a strong connotation. And, you know, sin is like, oh, you know, Johnny Besto headbutted Cameron Bancroft. All, and that's all over the newspaper. But, you know, obviously people are going to be like, I don't know, it, it's sort of slightly, but it, it's fake news, isn't it? <laughs> you keep saying that. <laughs> It's the 15th time you said that today. It's a bit worrying, actually. Uh, oh, no, I shouldn't say it. shouldn't say it. No, it's misleading. It, it's, it's, it's tabloid. Right, okay. That's, that's a better word for it. You can, can you bleep all my uses of fake news? Ever since you started working at ITV, <laughs> you keep calling the BBC fake news. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Should we talk about Australia? Yeah. They are the other team taking part in the Ashes this year. We talked about this on our Facebook Live team. There was, there was quite a bit of... Uh, Quite a bit of controversy, wasn't there, when the when the Australia squad was announced? Well, maybe controversy is the wrong word, but there was quite a bit of uh, discussion about that uh, Australia squad announcement because there were some unexpected names and there, some unexpected inclusions in well, Cameron Bancroft uh, and Sean Marsh and Tim Payne, particularly. But I I posited on our Facebook live, good word. I think it was me that was making the great point, saying that um, I wondered if the 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 headline surprises of that squad might have made us lose sight of the fact that they still had 
more than enough about them to be favourites against England. So, like, because of that squad announcement, people were saying, including both of us, well, actually, maybe this has opened the door for England a little bit, that, you know, that Australia have created a problem for themselves, that suddenly we were feeling a little bit more confident. A lot of people were feeling much more confident. But did that squad announcement actually just distract us from the fact that, you know, Australia still have Steve Smith, Dave Warner, a strong bowling attack? You know, they still had the stronger team. Uh, yeah, slightly. And I think we said that at the time, didn't, as he's just said. I think I said that, yeah. <laughs> no, I think, we, I think I said that as well. Mm, well. I definitely said that. Uh, no, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate, isn't it? Uh, you know, we talked ourselves out of the, the optimism that the squad announcement brought. Yeah, I mean, again, it just comes back to what we said at the start, like Steve Smith, he's just too good at the moment. Yeah, I don't know, what, what's, your, what's the latest stat from you on since he became good? My previous since he became good stat was that he's averaging 70 in test cricket since he became good. Uh, but that must have gone up now to probably 72 or 73 after that innings because his overall test average is, is above 60 again. There's an, another stat here. I mean, because, you know, people before the series were talking up the battle between him and Root, which is obviously, you know, that it's understandable why people would be talking that up because they're similar age they're one and two in the world they're both captains people talk a lot about smith and root along with williamson and coley as you know the four standout players of this generation but actually there's no real comparison i mean but in terms of average hundreds i mean yeah he's leaving them all behind i mean i suppose the only comparison is it's the the role that he plays in the team as captain and Mm. and yeah headline batsman but as you say yeah, he's 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 taken off the vitalness to the team, I suppose. But but just a, a direct comparison, player for player. I mean, the 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 hundreds thing is is pretty telling. I mean, that was Smith's twenty first Test hundred. Root has thirteen from uh, a couple more matches. Root's conversion rate actually is is becoming more and more of a problem, or more and more obviously a problem. His conversion rate from fifty to hundred is twenty eight percent. So less than a third of the time that he, he gets to 50, he goes on and makes 100. Smith's conversion rate is over 50%. Yeah, as I say, there's, there's not really a comparison between them. I mean, how, it's not always pretty. You know, it's not always great to watch. He's, he's not Brian Lara on the eye, uh, you know, with that kind of crab-like shuffle around. Uh, he hasn't got every shot in the book necessarily, or at least, you know, he might have the shots, but he, he doesn't always play them or play them that attractively. But, there's no arguing with the statistics. Um, the numbers are extraordinary, and he is, you know, in, he's he's pulled further ahead in the ICC rankings or the ICC player ratings. His his rating has gone up again. He's now uh, joint fifth on the all time list. So only four other players have ever had a higher rating than him on on the ICC system, which I think is Bradman, Hutton, Hobbs, and Ponting. And he's level with Peter May. So, I mean, that's not, company. not bad company to be in. How can England get him out, Tone? Can they get him out? I, I don't know. I do. I do. I mean, they did perhaps, you know, they, they let him settle a bit too much. They, they gave him long periods. I don't know. You know, you've just got to take your chances. I, I suppose it, there was that one wobble, but there wasn't much. He looked pretty imperious. He didn't really offer chances. No. Yeah, there was one uh, it was, it was miscontrolled pull shot but it wasn't really a chance was it, it or, yeah i mean it, it was a it was a uncharacteristic particularly for that innings and you know i guess in recent history an uncharacteristically sloppy shot but yeah it didn't yield a, a direct chance and he didn't even really play a miss so maybe it's a case of just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting everyone else out quicker so that he can't <laughs> score as many while he's in we talked up the australian bowling attack quite a lot on our preview show tone I mean, with, with the exception of Nathan Lyon, who we talked about, they were possibly a little bit underwhelming, particularly Mitchell Stark, who, who we were really talking up. I mean, he was, he was definitely not at his best, I think it's fair to say. But in some ways, is it, is it actually quite alarming for England that they've been beaten so comprehensively and the Australian bowlers haven't even bowled very well? Somewhat, yeah, somewhat. Where's the optimism? <laughs> well, exactly, I'm is, looking for it. Are there some places to be brain. optimistic in this in this Australian team? Maybe there is still that weakness in the batting. Yeah, it's a ten wicket defeat at the end of the day. It doesn't get any more one sided than that. But yeah, the frustrating thing is England, for a significant proportion of the match, were 
you know, competing, even out competing Australia. But it was just that that Smith sticking point. Mm. Uh, I think we'll uh, we'll know a bit more after Adelaide. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose England couldn't ask for a better opportunity, could they, to to get themselves back into the series? A day night test in Adelaide, pink ball should move around a little bit. You know, that that's a that does present them with with something, doesn't it? It's an enticing prospect. Yeah, you know, straight into it. It's different as a as a wild card element. I think if England get walloped in this, then you know, you do start to you start to worry heavily. Mm, yeah, no, no, they they have to win really here, yeah. don't they? Because this is probably their best chance of winning a test in the series. If they don't win here, you know, it's hard to see where they do win. Uh, but also, yeah, if, if they lose and lose heavily, I think it will be five nil. So. Again, lot riding on this test, lot riding on this first day, on this first session, a crucial first session in Adelaide. I mean, if if just to use your word, if I posit this for you, is that the right use of it? Ooh, I'm sounding, make a deposit. Sounding very sophisticated yeah. all of a sudden. Thing. But if if Australia do win five nil in this series, it you know the next tour, <laughs> yeah, it's just three five nils in a row <laughs> would be, uh, you know, I don't know. What, what, that, what does that do to the brain of, oh, a, of a young English cricketer? It wouldn't be three in a row. It would be three out of four. Oh, sorry, four. three out of four. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's... You've lost all, worrying. You've lost just, all that, that credibility that's yeah, built up yeah, by no, using I the meant, word posit. <laughs> you can cut that, actually, now. <laughs> I'll say it again. <laughs> I probably won't cut it. You have to cut it. Go on, say it again. Uh, no, but, it, but yeah, if England... If Australia were to win 5-0, yeah, three out of four series, whitewashes, it's pretty troubling. Obviously, there was a superhuman performance from from Kirkin uh, in 2010. But what you know, what does that say to the next England you know, touring party? That's that you need a superhuman performance from someone, and that's tough to find. Mm. It's, it's it's troubling, particularly because it, it's getting to the point in our lives now as well, where we're quite a bit older than most of the England players, and so another four years down the road, there could be players in that team who barely remember that 2010 victory they barely remember anything other than a 5-0 whitewash although to be fair we can barely remember anything other than we, we I can remember 5-0 white apart from the 2010 victory I can remember 5-0 whitewashes and a 4-1 defeat <laughs> yeah. in 2002 so maybe that's why I never made it as a cricketer but I was just thinking you know you know for someone like Jake Ball who said that his idol growing up was Steve Harmison and Harmison I think of as a recent player uh, not someone that was a sort of boyhood idol do you know what I mean? Like, if it's going to get to the point soon where there's players who who can't remember uh, anything other than a five 0 whitewash, potentially. Yeah. If this turns out to be a five 0 whitewash, <laughs> we are we're getting very negative. I mean, <laughs> the, I, you know, I, I got a couple of messages on uh, you know the other day, just people saying I've put money on a five 0 whitewash. Really? Um, yeah, money is going down on it. It's worrying. Like, a, yeah, but like I say, I mean, England. England have made a habit of getting hammered and then bouncing back really well the following week. And it happened in uh, in the Ashes series in England. They won the first test really well, but then got hammered in the second test. And everyone said, well, this is going to be 4-1 now. And actually England came back and won the next two games and won the series. So it's not impossible, but I'm not putting a lot of money on it. This is the most important question I'll ask you tonight, Tone. What did you make of the BT coverage? Uh, that was interesting. It was interesting. I, I, I mean, there's lots of lots of threads we could pick up on here. I mean, I, I felt slightly seasick by about half an hour in. <laughs> the camera work is a little bit strange. I mean, I presume that's not BT I cameras. I don't think that's BT's fault. But, but you, yeah, you sent not, me that message saying what's going on with the camera work, and I hadn't like consciously articulated that thought. But then I was like, oh yeah, the camera work. Then you tweeted it. But then I immediately tweeted it <laughs> and didn't credit you. Uh, that's but, right. I don't think it's that <laughs> original thought, but yeah, it's just it is. It, they're just the yeah. The, the camera works just a little bit jumpy for me. Mm. Uh, I think it settled down as the test went on, but on that first day, yeah, they they kind of missed. They weren't really get that first wicket. Cook when Cook got out, there was no real replay of of Hanscom taking the catch because the camera just wasn't following it properly, and we're just so used to world class camera work, aren't we? And uh, in tests in England that it was a bit disorienting. Yeah, that's, that's the word, disorienting. Well done. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Actually. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't mind the commentators. I've not, I've got, I've not had any issues with that yet. 
Uh, it did make me laugh at the start on day one. Uh, Matt Smith hosting, anchoring the whole thing, and then he was in the commentary box. <laughs> it cut to it sort of cut to the commentary box early on, and he was sat there, and then we didn't hear from him at all. But yeah, he was still sat there about an hour and a half later, just what sort of listening in. Yeah, it cut back to the commentators just in the middle of a conversation, and Matt Smith was just sat in the background nodding. <laughs> he was in the sort of what you you know on to use sky pilots the the sort of third man slot but he he didn't chip in at all it was weird it, it, it you know it looked as though they weren't letting him leave he just had to yeah. sit had to sit there and look like he was entertained i'm also slightly disappointed that we didn't get the call up to work for bt because certainly in the build up to the uh yeah certainly in the build up to the first session I didn't really quite get the point of the second presentation position mm. on the pitch with Alison Mitchell and Swan and Fleming. Yeah, they had two tables, didn't yeah. they? two desks to yeah, stand and around. It was just like, and then it was just the sort of the same thing, but yeah. different. Let's just go to the other side of the ground to talk some more about cricket. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a rocky start, I thought, on the first day. The, ca- the camera work, which obviously was not their fault, but also you mentioned earlier you know boycott used to come is used to commentating on the radio a few of them have really you know most of the commentary they've done before is on the radio and they were very very talky like talking a lot which was partly excitement i imagine as well and it was you know bt coverage is new and they were probably like uh pretty hyped up i would imagine but there was yeah there was a lot of of shouting and talking over the coverage (laughs) or it is that thing where you know i'm sort of there going God, just let the pictures speak for themselves. <laughs> I was furiously writing on Twitter. <laughs> it's like, I don't need anything other than the cricket to entertain me. I, I typed on Twitter. Yeah, no, I think that's that, probably true. That opening VT as well. Do you remember that? I don't know if I saw that. I might have just missed that. You might what have happened in that? nodded off. It was there like introducing the Ashes VT. And it was just lots of uh, dramatic music and, and clips of old series interspersed with uh, close-up shots of the commentators just saying one word. It was going like, you know, history, bouncer, pride, enthralling. And Vaughan afterwards was like, God, that gets me going every time. <laughs> Does it, Michael? Does it? No, I missed that. I was actually went and watched the first day uh, with a couple of friends. Mm, yeah. Uh, but a yeah, of, I th- a couple of your mates. I missed the. I did miss the the very very start. Got there just before the toss, so I saw saw most of that. Then went at lunch to keep us awake. We went on a beach walk in the driving wind and rain with two St Bernard dogs. Right, which was interesting. It's good. But then got back and it was raining, so that was really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Rain at the start of the second session should not be allowed. I know. In an, uh, in a australian ashes series. i had to go to bed because that's just the worst i mean it was annoying that there was sort of drizzle around anyway but yeah that's the worst possible time for it to come and it was raining in real life as well yeah yeah but it is interesting and it, you know you, you talk obviously lots has been chatted over the years about the impact uh of cricket being on you know pay tv mm. uh and you know i think it even it's it's heightened by it being on bt yeah, obviously the Ashes gets a lot of coverage on the BBC Sport website, which for many people in the UK is is the sort of the homepage of sport. But it it is a shame. Yeah, you mean it's heightened by BT because because it's it's like a, it's almost it's another level of obstruction for people to go and see it. Yeah, because you know a, a minority of people pay for Sky, you know, have pay TV, but even fewer people have BT, I guess or would pay for BT. And if you've already got Sky, and particularly if you're a cricket fan and you've decided, I am going to pay, I, w- I like cricket enough that I'm going to pay to have Sky to watch it. If there's then one series that you've got to pay for on top of that, it's that thing. I mean, people talk about it with, with the football as well, but it's like competition should be good for the consumer. But actually, in this case, it's very bad for the consumer. And speaking of Sky, I mean, it does, as I say, I think it was a pretty rocky start for BT, although I think they, they did settle down and, and, you know, the commentary team, I, I can, uh, I can pick, pick faults with for sure. And, you know, I certainly think someone needs to have a word with Swan. I, I, think, I, I think boycott has, has definitely had his days, had his chips with me boycott as far as I'm concerned, but I think they've, they, there are some great commentators. And I think Alison Mitchell's great. And I think the, uh, the Aussie guys 
uh, were all excellent as well, especially Ricky Ponting. I think it's one of the best commentators in the world. So I thought it settled down. I thought, broadly speaking, their coverage was okay, but their coverage was decent. But it does go to illustrate, I think, what an amazing job Sky do. And whatever you think about the uh, free-to-air pay TV debate, and I do think that it's the, the current setup is bad for the game. I think there does need to be some cricket on free-to-air. Um, at, ver- at the very least, some cricket on free-to-air. Whatever you think about that and whatever you think about Rupert Murdoch, and I understand why some people don't want to pay Sky because they don't want to give their money to the Murdoch empire. That's fair enough as well. But whatever you think about those things, there's no denying that the job Sky do of covering cricket is exceptionally good. I think it must be just about the best coverage of any sport in the world, or certainly that that I've seen. I've sort of started to take that for granted. And when you see uh, what BT were doing, which was fine, it's just not the same, is it? It's not that it's not Athers, it's not Hussein, and it's not the you know the really in depth like Hawkeye and other kinds of analysis that they do. You know, there's no Ian Ward with his little uh, TV that he carts around that he drives around. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just it really made me go, oh yeah, actually. Sky do do an amazing job. Yeah, agreed. Much like the announcement of Prince Harry's engagement, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been a life-changing and extremely unexpected event that has received an appropriate level of news coverage all around the world. We've all had a jolly good time, but it's definitely time now to bring it to an end. You must have enjoyed that royal wedding announcement the other day, Tane. Yeah, good news. Good news. We'd better get a bank holiday. That's all I'll say about it. But we're not. Well, they've said we're not. But if we kick up enough of a stink tone, do you think we can get Theresa to change her mind? I mean, it's a tough one. I don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. No one cares. What's going on this week, Tone? Did you have a good birthday the other day? It was you're nice. Very, you're very keen for us all to know that it was your birthday coming up. Did you have a good one? Yeah, very good. I saw started, it, was, it began with me waking up on, a, on my friend's sofa <laughs> and getting a taxi home at 6.45 in the morning uh and that then, wasn't my sofa was it i know you, you threatened to come around <laughs> to use my bt subscription once i'd gone to bed i did think maybe i should leave a light on in case tony pops around i managed to get a nap in uh on uh, my birthday afternoon so that was good so yeah it was all good perfect day really perfect birthday a nap exactly and hey we do it all, not well it's not my birthday but we do it all again this weekend don't we it's not your special day anymore tony i'm sorry it's my birthday week Christmas is coming up though, so you'll get more presents, don't worry. What did you get me? Um, the gift of laughter. Yeah, that's good. That's priceless. The gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? So yeah, well, no, I'll see you on Saturday morning. Yeah, you've, uh, you've offered to have us round. Open the doors. <laughs> Getting in the festive spirit. Actually, I'll be coming round to yours on Saturday night as well. You could just stay throughout. I might as well, yeah. You're having Christmas drinks, aren't you? Yeah. In the evening. So yeah, maybe I should just stay for the day get a bit of a nap have a bit of a kip in here maybe all right well we'll be back after the adelaide test uh, to do more talking uh, but before that if you like the world cricket show there's various things you can do on the internet to get more involved we're on facebook at facebook.com slash cricket show uh, we're on twitter at cricket show i'm tweeting throughout the ashes tests when i'm watching them if i'm not tweeting it means i'm asleep we're on instagram as well at world cricket show send us an email worldcricketshow at gmail.com and if you'd like to support the show there's a few different ways you can do that. Write a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you use. A uh, big thank you to everybody who has done that because that does help to uh, bring new listeners to the show. And if you want to support us financially, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can make a regular donation at patreon.com slash cricket show. And we'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters who have helped to fund this new equipment, this, uh, this new recording equipment that we're using uh, that makes us sound so so sexy and the other way that you can support us financially is when you're doing your amazon shopping christmas is coming up i don't know if you've noticed uh, you may have seen the john lewis advert um christmas is coming so if you're doing your shopping on amazon this year uh why not go first of all to our website cricketshow.net click the link there and then anything you buy doesn't cost you anything extra whatsoever uh, but we just get a little bit of a kickback but yeah that is it i think Tone. yeah on to adelaide on to adelaide at Ad- adelaide it's a tough one to say that to. Yeah. Stay in school, guys, and we'll see you all next time. Bye bye for now. Cheery.
I can smell your fear. I've made the mistake of starting this podcast with my hoodie on, with my sweatshirt on. It's way too hot in here for that, so I'm just going to take it <laughs> okay. off. Hold on. Let's take off my headphones. Try and well. commentate on this. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it's all happening. Oh. Wow. That's more revealing than I intended. Yeah, can you put that back on, please? It's one for the outtakes, isn't it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 